Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Craig is a talented singer, musician, and songwriter based in Toronto, Ontario. Well known in the city for contributing vocals to work by the likes of Jennifer Castle, The Weather Station, U.S. Girls, and Fucked Up, among others, Craig is a member of the excellent band The Cosmic Range, and she also performs and releases her own songs. Her latest album is a haunting and introspective one called The Becoming, which is out now via Pleasance Records. And ahead of her appearance at the 2018 Spooktacular event hosted by Kazoo Fest in Guelph, Craig and I discussed her interest and approach to singing, her renown as a collaborator, Tori Amos and Jeremy Costello, fear and the patriarchy, the themes, concepts, and psych soul sound of the becoming, and much more. With the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 437th episode of Creative Control featuring the wondrous Isla Craig with your host, me, Vish Khanna.
Hi, Isla. How's it going? Hey, Vish. I am doing excellent. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. I, I, I need to know where you are, first of all. Where in the world are you? I am on the uh, lakefront of the Toronto Harbor at my place of work on a lunch break. Oh, nice. Is it a fun place of work? I mean, can you say? Can I? Well, I work at the George Brown, the college, and is it fun? <laughs> I, I, I don't really do fun work, but I think it's important work. I work in a counseling office, so. Oh, I see. You're, you're a counselor? Or like a career counselor type person? No, I'm just uh, like administrative support. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So wait, what what is the what does your day look like doing? Who you who do you counsel in an administrative support role, if I might ask? Well, I know I don't counsel, so I just uh, I help run the office and do the bookings oh, and. Okay. Yeah, I just see. a J, capital J O B. <laughs> yeah, we uh, some of us have those. I I know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well. It's nice to speak with you and, and to talk to you about uh, the becoming and, and other things. I, I want to begin simply by asking, uh, for, I, I, some of us know you as, uh, as someone who works with lots of other artists. Uh, and I'm curious if, uh, A, you can talk about that and how that has sort of come to be. I think people call you in uh, <laughs> and ask you to sing on their records. And uh, I'm just curious, how do you, do you have a sense of where that and how, how that's happened, so to speak? Well, I mean, I've always written my own stuff and performed, and I've just like kept on a pretty community level of music. And I mean, most of the people that I sing with are friends. Like, I'm I wouldn't really consider myself like someone for hire, you know? Oh, okay. Um, I'm not really existing in that professional realm. So mostly, it's just friends and people who I know in the music community, and we've. Most of the time, known each other for quite a while, so it's pretty organic. I don't. I'm not a very like savvy person in terms of like professional connections. I just go where the energy is, you know. Well, friends are good. Friends are. There's nothing wrong with having friends. That's. I'll say that right off the top. Uh, for, who are some of your friends? Who are some of the people you've uh, worked with, collaborated with on on their own things? You mean like backup singing? Well, and, and and any other thing you might do is it is it is it backup singing on its own? Or are you uh, uh, helpful in songwriting, arranging in any way? I guess it would probably be a case by case basis. But yeah, I, I guess I am asking about the backup singing and, and any other things you might bring to the to the table if called upon to do so by friends. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm mostly just a singer. So I've been singing with Jennifer Castle for this when she has the full band for the Angels of Death. Uh, material yeah. and um, so that's a recent project that is like a big part of my life I'd say and I sang on Matt Dunn's new record and I'm as you probably know I play in the Cosmic Range yes that's right yeah and I mean it's mostly just like here and there like if someone wants me to sing a song like I did a song on the the Bunny record Drew Smith and I mean, I'm always listed as like being a part of U.S. Girls, but I I've literally done like a handful of shows singing with Meg many years ago. So I wouldn't say I'm in U.S. Girls, but people like that credit. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is what I want to ask about because you've collaborated with people like U.S. Girls, and you did some work with Fucked Up too, right? I yeah, I sang on one of their 12 inches, the Year of the Hair. 
Right. So people associate you with some other bands and other artists. So that's all I was kind of getting at. Uh, you you did one one your U.S. Girls Association. You feel is is tenuous at best. Well, I just I mean I love Meg. She's a friend and she's amazing. I just uh, I really only did a couple of shows. Uh, doing some backup singing. Yeah. But I guess it's a credit that gets attributed to my name. It right. seems a little like more than what I what I actually offered. I see. I, I, I understand. Well, I, I want to get to the heart of that, though, this notion that people uh, ask you, your friends ask you if you can sing with them in terms of um, maybe what it is about your approach to singing. I kind of think of you and uh, using your voice as a, a communication device, uh, maybe a little more uh, than some other singers do. I mean, the, people have lyrics and things they want to convey, but there's something about the, your approach to vocalizing, using your voice as an instrument, but I, 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 as well as you know, as as conveying words. I, I feel like there's something going on there. Can you talk about your relationship to singing, and also uh, with I guess within that, when you began singing, how you got into singing. I mean, you're at this point now where people ask you. They, they they like your voice so much and your approach to singing so much that they want you to be a part of their thing. I think there's something to that, and I just want to see if we can get an origin story. Hmm. Well, I I grew up in a family where my mother, um, she's a, a vocal and piano teacher, and she taught out of her house. So it was the soundtrack of my life, like... Yeah, her students were always in the house singing. And then from there, she's also an organist. And I would go with her to church uh, every week. And I would sing in choirs. And and then my dad uh, played in bluegrass bands. And we would go to these bluegrass festivals, like do the circuit in the summer. And so I was kind of surrounded by like harmonic music in these really like different ways, like classical, like liturgical music. And then bluegrass like mountain style so uh i guess my ear heard it all from a pretty young age Hmm. and i don't know what it is about harmony like i i know other singers who who like like i know jennifer has a difficult time like picking out harmonies but like her voice is so singular and strong it's like that's her skill set you know but for some reason harmony can be uh, it just is like a something I understand, probably because I heard it so much from such a young age. I, um, I, I, so I think, I think th- there's a lot of us who have trouble with it when we're called upon to sing something as simple as "Happy Birthday" or, or you know, in a you mentioned a church setting or you're in a bluegrass band where there could be a hollering going on. But if you can <laughs> kind of hear yourself trying to sing along with someone, you might be like, "Oh, I'm a little off here." Can you talk about that? Like, is it, you find it, it comes to you, it's what you heard, it's in your, you have an ear for harmony singing, but do you, is it possible for you to kind of articulate why why people might have difficulty with it and, and maybe where they go wrong? I don't, I'm not asking for a free music lesson, by the way, but I, yeah, just, no. I just thought it would be interesting because you're, you're on the topic there. Can you, can you speak to that? Well, I really don't know. It's kind of mysterious to me as well. But I think um, a lot of singing has to do with hearing and listening, like being able to match a tone. And I don't know what it is that makes someone not be able to do that. Like, I mean, my mother teaches vocal lessons. So I spent a lot of my life listening to people that were 
trying week after week to do it. And some people had more of a struggle than others. But um, You think it's physiological? Like it's some people just can't do it? I think it's like, I don't think, hmm, it's a muscular thing. I think you could probably do a lot of things that you put your mind to. But I think when it comes to listening, um, like it's not just a matter of making the sound. It's it's how that sound resonates within you. So yeah. I don't, I'm not really giving you an answer at all because I don't know. No, no, that, <laughs> no, that's fair. But you have a lot of experience in this realm. Like I try to sing with my kids a lot um, and sometimes we're just all over the place, you know. I mean, they're, oh. it's it's a difficult thing to do. I I, I can't. I, I I feel like, and there's enough video evidence to counter this, but I feel like I've actually become a better singer since my kids were born. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I'm a singer, but it's just like a you know a home weekend. Actually, I've sung a lot in public. I have to say, now that I think about it, but but I was never very good at it. It just had the I had the spirit and the drive to do it, uh, and sometimes that's enough. Uh, particularly when you come from maybe punk rock or something. It's just you, you try something and you do your best at it and you get better at it, hopefully. But yeah, with my kids, I spent a lot of time singing them to sleep and I feel like that's taught me a little bit about singing. Um, it, it is a practice that you improve upon the more you do it. You were saying that some people just maybe never get it, but it is possible, I think, for the most part, unless you're you know tone deaf or something, to eventually, if you just keep at it, you can kind of get there as a vocalist. Is that I'm generalizing, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that the thing is there's like a lot of inhibition about sharing one's voice. It's a really vulnerable thing. Hmm. And I think a lot of our lives we're walking around in our own, you know, inner world and singing in a very close kind of way to ourselves, like just speaking very generally. So I think like to to really work on it, you have to put it out there and it's a it's a really vulnerable thing to do. I mean, for all of the years that I've been singing and you know, for all that singing gives me in terms of like wellness, I've I can feel really out on a limb many times. Yeah. Because you know, it's an embodied sound and I'm sure I'm sure many in, um musicians feel this way about their instruments like but I happen to be a singer and I identify as a singer and and so there's like something I can't separate you know it's like part it's part voice. of you. yeah it's part of you yeah yeah well you mentioned but I've seen some footage of you singing with your kids and it's just the sweetest oh absolutely sweetest well well thank you I don't think uh we're gonna win any uh singing awards but it is fun I'm, tr- I'm just trying to encourage it and we just end up doing it and they like it and I, they seem to like it and I know that they Anything they do with their parents, they're going to like uh, on some level at this age, at the ages they're at. Uh, so uh, at some point, they're going to reject everything. I know that's coming, but uh, I'm try- <laughs> trying to enjoy the fact that if I do something or if they do something, then we kind of reciprocate interest. And and so we're enjoying that right now, and I appreciate you saying so. But uh, you were saying um, something about uh, singing being a very vulnerable thing. Uh, you mentioned that uh, when you were younger, you were surrounded or immersed in your in, in in singing because of your your mother's practice. Do you remember a breakthrough that sort of helped you realize that you could go out and sing? Like you you, you were alluding to this moments ago that you know you know that it gives you wellness. But do you remember what it was that maybe made you think I can go out into the world and present myself as a singer and identify as a singer? Was it 
Was it a particular show? Was it was something? Did something happen that uh, prompted that from you? No, I think just like personal growth and like learning to learning to love myself in a deep way. Hmm. But like the, I remember being thirteen or maybe even younger than that. And like I always sang, like I grew up singing like a whole lot of R and B music, and and I would have a lot of support from my friends. But like this one memory I have is one of my oldest friends who asked me to sing a song, and I wouldn't. I was really embarrassed, so I made her sit with all my stuffed animals, and I put a monkey mask on her, and then I sang her the song. <laughs> you had to. She had to become had a to, like, stuffed monkey. That's wow. Yeah, yeah. Because I was really nervous. Like I've I've always been a pretty nervous person, and um, it just took a long time. I don't. There wasn't like any major breakthrough. I think just doing it, and you know, coming to feel that I. I had something that was honest to me and that that's, that's worth sharing. That's enough. There's doesn't a, have to be revolutionary. Yeah, there's always at least a couple of human beings or monkeys or dolphins or teddy bears that insist on making eye contact with the singer, isn't there? There, there always is. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I mean, I'm usually like my eyes are pretty sealed or I'm like in another universe. You're concentrating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we've talked. So. We've talked about your mother. You mentioned singing R and B there. Do you have particular people you admire as vocalists, as singers, who are doing something that, uh, not that you necessarily aspire to, but that sort of inspire you on some level? Uh, so yeah, not aspire, inspire. That inspire you mm-hmm. as as vocalists. Are there anyone, any figures you can cite? Well, I'm deeply in love with Jeremy Costello, um, Special Costello, and his voice it's like one of the most staggering voices i've ever heard now jeremy's just a, to be he's a con- extremely hyperbolic well he's a contemporary of yours he's on this record to, to sing this uh the song gregory right mm-hmm. and he's from halifax yeah he lives just outside of halifax right just a phenomenal vocalist and performer uh and musician yeah he's he's something yeah else. yeah okay yeah and like, I went to Electric Eclectics a couple of years ago. I had never heard Special Costello. I'm, like, not always in the loop of what's going on. And um, and I saw them perform. And it, like, was a, such a major feeling. It was so grounding. Like, Jeremy's voice just goes right into that beautiful space in your heart and fills you. And, yeah, I was, like, not – I was bowled over. Yeah. Such a powerful – powerful gift yeah i saw jeremy and nick do a special costello show at the um, megaphono uh, festival in ottawa uh, uh february 2018 i guess it was and I, I same feeling just like holy i just hadn't seen anything like that or heard anything like that and i've seen and heard lots of different things so he is uh he's unique so he's someone you consider uh a friend and uh, something of a hero i guess yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, like, hold anyone too high on a pedestal, you know, but, he, yeah, he definitely has a singular gift. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's, yeah, an embodiment of him, and and it's a beautiful thing. He makes incredible music. Is there anyone who you are at a distance from, um, you know, out in the world that uh, has influenced you as a singer? Oh, well, like, I'm I'm a Tori Amos, like, freak since the age of... 15. Oh, okay. And yeah, Tori's always been like my grounding 
place and uh there's definitely like a major impact there listening I, to her albums did you see have you seen her before oh yeah okay I, I I still remember chaperoning my sister to see Tori Amos at Center in the Square in Kitchener in, I want to say, 1997 or something. That's really cool. Did you did you see her that far? No, you would have been... You're young, aren't you? Well, I'm 36. Oh, so you're, not, you're I, close. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I saw her in 1998 for the first time. It was for uh, from the Choir Girl Hotel... Yeah, so I missed the Boys for Pele tour, which would have been, I mean, if I could time travel back, that would be 1996. I would love to see some of the shows from that year. So wait, under is Under the Pink 94? 94. And then Boys for yeah, I think that's right then. I think that's the, we saw the subsequent uh, albums tour. I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I have no issues. I have no concerns with Tori Amos. She's fine. I just, my sister was the giant fan and I was just, called upon to it was great fantastic show don't get me wrong but uh, i'm just guessing i knew see somehow i knew 94 I, I don't know how i know these things i just know things but i don't want to p- put myself out there as like a huge tori amos fan just because i don't know enough about her i have no problems no issues am i clear here are, are we okay yeah uh yeah uh, taste is taste like I- <laughs> you you feel you feel like i'm missing out i need to get into tori amos no i'm not gonna try and win you over i mean you're you're a man who knows what he likes and we all have free will to listen. The world is vast and I don't know, like I'm, uh, I'm not one of those people that's like, if someone was like prescribing things for me to listen to that I could like digest that. I think it's, you go, you go with, uh, like what speaks to you. No, I'm, I don't know. I'm 70. Maybe you'll find Tori in your 60s. I'm 70% there with Tori. I just haven't done, I'm, all I'm saying is, I don't want to come across as some kind of expert because I saw her once on a tour you didn't. I am fully prepared to delve. That's the age we live in. Like I'm listening to Kinks records now that I haven't uh, spent as much time with as I should have just because they're accessible to me. I can just get them. If I feel like it, I'll just find them on my phone. And uh, yeah. and then I listen to them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I just never spent as much time with this album. Uh, and so I could do the same. All, I, all I'm pledging to you is after this conversation <laughs> – I will do something similar with Tori Amos. I'll put it on while I'm making my family dinner or something, and then I'll be like, oh, Isla was right. I'm an idiot for missing out on this for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. you do you. <laughs> I appreciate your attitude. I, I really do. Now, we were, yeah. ta- we were talking about uh, Jeremy there, and I alluded to the fact that he sings on this song, Gregory, which is from this uh, gorgeous album, The Becoming. Congratulations on this record. Thank you. How are you feeling about it? This came out uh, a few months ago. Uh, people have processed it. They're thinking about it, I hope, still. What, what is your perspective on the record now that it's been out a little while? Well, I I made it over the course of three years, and I was really happy to release it into the world. It's like um, a really personal album, and I feel kind of like uh, like it's my child, like it's my three-and-a-half-year-old and it's out there in the world, and I really do feel that way. Like, uh, I, I, I'm not a parent, so I'm, I'm not, like, I'm sure energetically it's not equivalent, but um, no, there is it, it might be. There's something know. that, like, happens in the making of a record that is, like, the kind of labor and um, 
a lot that becomes invisible. You know, when you release work, it's you, I'm I'm so happy that the album can like exist as an object, but there's so much in that process that like only I only I carry, and that's kind of hard because it's a time where there's just so much music in the world. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, you say it's like a child. You say it's a, a deeply personal record. Um, I don't think these are sentiments that um, some musicians would find uh, hard to relate to. I think a, a lot of musicians feel that way about a thing they've labored over. Literally, they labor over records for years, and uh, then they come out, and they go out into the world, and, and hopefully they grow up, and they become something. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird thing. It, it's very similar. I mean, it is it is quite similar to uh, raising a child or something. You know, you've... you've yeah, it's... I. There's someone chuckling at me saying this right now who's listening, but I, it, it is, and I'm saying this as a parent. I know exactly what it's like, but I, I know where you're coming from. And I just want to home in on this personal aspect because this, I mean, it's called The Becoming. I feel like there's a lot of transformative imagery on this record. You say it's personal. What, what do we learn about you from The Becoming? Did you become something uh, in the course of making this record? Well, I think uh, the you know the reason I wrote that song and named the album "The Becoming" was just trying to give like some light to those processes in life where uh, you're it, there's a struggle or like something you have to leave behind, be that a relationship or uh, something that you used to identify with in yourself that doesn't fit anymore, hmm. and and just like the struggle of that, of that growing. So, I mean, I'm kind of like in that often I'm, I'm in a psychotherapy program. I'm studying to be a therapist. I'm like constantly deep in a world of self-reflection. So uh, this is kind of like the work that came out of like the beginning of that journey. So there's a lot of like excavation that I did. There's a lot of dream work and dream imagery in the album. There's a lot of I, fear in it too, though, isn't there? Fear. I, I, I sense fear and, and scariness. I mean, when I think of the song, The Becoming, and I think about yeah. uh, strangers at doors knocking, growling, uh, snakes, yeah, yeah. there's animals, there's scary stuff going on. <laughs> uh, and then there's this sense of like a, a new world order comes up. Uh, on the record uh, as well like but kind of like an optimistic wondering about the new world this song who am i i guess is what i'm referring to this notion yeah. of kind of like well who am i what is there's like a lot of like identity stuff going on and when you kind of confront that stuff not i don't mean to make this one of your um co-op psychotherapy sessions i i don't i'm not trying to be a, a patient here but perhaps i'm i'm so smug that I think I know everything, that I, I've become the therapist. But I feel like <laughs> there is some stuff about, you know, grappling with a sense of self here. Uh, and within that, I hear, yeah, I hear fear and and, and curiosity, like kind of like wonderment, but also within wonderment, there's like, what's next, you know? Yeah. Well, for sure, the becoming has uh, has some like dark elements, some, some shadow coming through. One of my bandmates used to joke that it was our Halloween song. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Very timely, very timely for this time of year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's definitely fear 
and and darkness like these are these are parts of of myself that i am like struggle with and i'm trying to understand better the older i get and like i think um there's just certain times in your life where there's like more major shifts where where things don't fit anymore and you feel a little bit like you're 15 trying to sort it out for the first time and that's yeah that's a lot of what i was dealing with so it's it's real yeah i mean but, we were, we, were um, we were talking earlier about vulnerability and and this notion of actually becoming a a singer and i actually hear that I don't, there's something about putting yourself out there that is equally confident and vulnerable, isn't there? Like when I think of love song and this notion of, I, I think one of the lyrics is, uh, I, I, here I am for you. I'm, I'm here for you, basically, which is, which mm-hmm. is a, an olive branch. It's, it's an extension of some kind of kindness and invitation, but it's also putting yourself out there. It seems confident, but it's, it's laced with a kind of hesitation, I think. I mean, do you agree with that? I feel like this ties into what we were saying about you deciding to become a singer and, and, and why other people don't. It's both like really putting yourself out there, but also, which is confident, but you're scared at the same time. Yeah, and I think that that is the complexity that humans live with, you know? Like we are, we're, I'm navigating both of those poles and... I mean, that particular song, it's called Love Song, and it's, like, an R&B flavor. And, like, that has, like, a whole uh, history of, like, how that goes, right? How a love song, you know, like, just, like, very idealistic. Oh, like a love song as a form? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so the way that I wanted to, the way I wrote that song was to be, to address, like, the the reciprocity in a relationship. And so, yeah, it's like, I'm here for you. But then the next verse is like, you should be here for me. And um, it's about finding that balance in the relationship where it's not about self-sacrifice and it's not about idealism. It's about meeting each other. And, uh, and that is a very vulnerable thing to do (laughs) and a very vulnerable place to be. Yeah. It's a blend of, assertion and dread at the same time it's it's an odd thing that we do when we when we put ourselves out there as as performers of of any kind whether it's you know uh performing on a stage or not to sound stupid but like a performance of like a mating ritual of some kind (laughs) (laughs) i'm like here i am you know i'm i'm into you like i'm gonna tell you i'm into you and i'm if if you're into me, like this is going to work. Like it, that's a there's a lot of stuff going on like that in our our daily lives, and I and I pick up on that on this record. Yeah, and it's like also the things that we hand over to another person, right? Like we in a lot of relationships, and this is I think just a part of human nature where like we are seeking through the other, and there are ways that we can hand over uh, a certain part of ourselves and yeah. our agency to someone else. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because it's painful. It's painful to sit with the things that uh, or a lack or like a desire or a need. And I think that's kind of what life's about, right? Navigating that. Yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is. I mean, we, we've touched upon some of maybe the the personal impulses that um, make up this record, The Becoming. Is there a political undercurrent for you? I, I, I don't mean to make a, 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 a silly superficial point, but when you invoke a word like patriarchy in the song uh, Gregory, which, uh, by the way, I, uh, Jeremy's singing this with you. Did you actually write the lyrics to that song? Yeah, I mean, I wrote the song, and I wrote it with Jeremy in mind from the beginning. Like, I wanted him to embody this character. The, oh, he he's playing the character of Gregory, and, and the final line uh, that haunts me a little bit is Gregory against the patriarchy. <laughs> Yeah. So I know it's heavy. It's heavy-handed. <laughs> well, just the way it came out. Yeah. But, yeah. What? What, I mean, what? What? What inspired that? Well, I mean, that's a song that's like about toxic masculinity, and that like it lives in me. It lives very strongly in our culture, and I think it's like the character of Gregory is kind of like the antidote to you know, this like system of ambition and success and like extroversion, like Gregory is slow and gentle and just like kind of like stands back from the crowd. It's a more like subdued kind of person. Hmm. But I think that like we live in a time under, you know, capitalist patriarchy that like really asserts a lot of values that being successful looks a certain way. And I think that this like trickles down into our personal relationships. So I guess it's political and the personal is political. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is Gregory an idealized version of, of a, a person? Is Gregory inspired by someone? Yeah, he's inspired by somebody. Okay. So this is, so we, is, is Gregory then a heroic figure, a naive figure? I wouldn't say he's heroic, no. Like, I've kind of, like, pulled him out of the very comfortable, like, side stage space where I think he's more comfortable by putting, by making a song and putting him in it. Hmm. But, yeah, he's just, like, a gentle way, like a softer way that doesn't, doesn't ask to be seen and doesn't, um, doesn't demand definition. And he's a really good listener, so he might not like he's a writer so he's he's in his words but he's not spitting them at you, you yeah I, i'm conflicted about gregory that's why i'm asking about gregory uh which by the way is the it's the final track on the record i guess so maybe that's why i'm left with it uh, and i've thought about 
Gregory, because the the couplet, the full line, I, I mentioned the, the the last line. The full line is, "You turn time into a slow luxury, Gregory against the patriarchy." I, that that seems pointed. Um, it seems like a pointed thing. Uh, a sense that. Uh, Someone who might think they're doing something positive is not actually accomplishing what they think they are. Is that is that a good reading of that? Uh, well, I think that's like a like that's a parallel thought. All I was going for with that uh, sentiment is that he Gregory is going against the patriarchy in the way that he lives, which is like a very a very quiet, slow way. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So is, is that too simple? It, no, that's not too simple. No, no. I mean, it's uh, maybe I'm looking for. I think there's complexity even in within your answer and and within the song. Like there's something going on in it that just piqued my interest, and I wasn't sure who this character was. And it's, I believe, uh, the only instance where you cede the lead vocal role to someone else on your record, and it happens to be someone who I believe identifies as a man. Is that right? Hmm. So is that something that uh, <laughs> there's something to that as well? Yeah, well, I I did write the song with Jeremy in mind, mm-hmm. and I know Jeremy a little bit, and I just felt like, I mean, the song was like already formed, but when when it was coming together, and I thought of him, I thought I thought of him, and that's very specific in particular because because of the emotional quality of his voice. Mm-hmm. And that I th- I thought it would be interesting to have like a male identified person singing this song about toxic masculinity. <laughs> right. But I mean, I don't really want to speak for Jeremy. I don't actually. I've never asked him how he identifies. But but there's like a, an emotional quality to his singing and and like a personal um, like a depth that I thought would really uh, be conveyed beautifully. So. That's a part of why I asked him. I see. I see. Well, I mean, I've I've homed in on a song that maybe has a somewhat more obvious uh, political implication than than perhaps some of the others. Is there? You mentioned that the personal is political, which is something that I can see and something I believe. I mean, by the very action of doing what we do, I think we're uh, being political on some level. Do you? Are there other themes or ideas on this record that you were surprised uh, maybe people haven't picked up on or things you want to clarify or articulate uh, that are going on here that uh, could be some 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 blending of the two notions of writing a very personal record but but maybe trying to be outspoken at the same time about a, a universal issue well i I do think that like um I mean, and Simone Schmidt made a really beautiful speech when Jennifer Castle was up for the Polaris Prize uh, for Pink City. When she gave the introduction, she she spoke about how, like, being a singer songwriter in in this climate and age is like actually like a pretty re- strong stance, like a pretty revolutionary thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I definitely feel that like there's a lot going on musically and in culture that. Uh, like is really assertive in its identity or in its knowing. And maybe this record is about like not having that kind of assertion like and and being uncomfortable and not entirely clear. Right. And I do think that that relates to our political landscape and just a way of like breaking up power and but like on on in the way that we 
propagate that in our in our personal lives and relationships and our relationship to ourself more than anything else. So in, in, in calling the record The Becoming and, and maybe following up on, on what you just said, do you feel like we are in the middle of some cultural moment? Like we're we're getting somewhere? We're just not, maybe not there? I, I don't know. That was a bit of a vague question, but do you feel like we're in the, something's changing at this point that we're all in? I mean, there are some ways that things are changing in terms of like the generations and the way, you know, just something like, you know, gender identity and how that's being, how that's discussed now with, with kids and yeah. the way we, we speak about mental health. There's a lot more education and, and less stigma. Yeah. So I'm not saying that there isn't stigma because I think there are a lot of things within our culture that, that still contribute to that. But there are pretty major changes happening. Is that what you asked? I'm losing it, it, my train of thought. No, no, it is, it is what I asked, and it is a confusing time because I do feel like those those um, those changes that you are describing or those shifts in the way we dialogue are huge, and yet I feel like those of us who take uh, some heart in those developments are now confronted by the fact that there's a whole other uprising of backwards evil uh, sentiment and thought, and because they that stuff sells more, I will I will use the term newspapers uh, as a catch-all for uh, clicks and other media. But I feel like we are just given the bad news um, and uh, forced to dwell on that to to sort of create more anxiety and for us to consume. This is me going on a, a very uh, subdued rant, but um, mm-hmm. but I do feel like that. It's important to recognize, and when I talk to artists like yourself and I say something like this, like, don't you feel like on the one hand, yeah, things have never been, they've never felt worse socio-culturally, politically. On the other hand, there seem to have been a lot of developments made. I mean, and we're seeing these forces that I described try to ratchet those progressions back, but I can't help but feel like because they're in the conversation more broadly, the changes the positive steps that they're there still, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is something we can take heart in. Yeah, I mean, uh, with the 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 like polarization of like the left and the right, I I mean, I would say that I'm I'm a leftist or more on the left, but I do I do think it's problematic, um, or I, I think it can be really to our detriment to draw such like clear lines. Yeah. I think this is something that I've had, I've been thinking about a lot in the last few years about like how to talk to strangers, how to talk to the other and someone who doesn't share your worldview. Um, and how like, that's really where the change needs to happen. There's like the echo chamber effect is pretty big on the left um, and and on the right. And there do need to be new spaces that are forged that are probably going to be really uncomfortable. And I just, I don't know what that looks like, but I don't think just like railing against the right is going to shift things. I think that makes sense, but I also think we're in a nonsensical time and place and that this might warrant a longer conversation than we have time for um, <laughs> because uh, uh, yeah, the echo chamber thing is 
totally valid. I just was on my Facebook today and I noticed that for some reason they've modified my feed algorithm so that the first thing I see is like a friendly post from a friend about nothing. And then the rest is just for, for me this today, I noticed it was all Washington Post, Politico, New York Times articles. Like just that's mm-hmm. all I got. The rest of the way, if I was scrolling down, I wasn't seeing any other friend update. And I and I that's evil on some level. Like that's that's manipulating something uh, that they think about me. Um, for for sure it is, but also social media is a strange, strange world. That, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So if we're looking for clarity, we might not want to look there. I agree. I do agree with you. Um, I feel like uh, we've talked a lot about your voice. We talked a lot about your singing. Uh, we didn't really talk about your uh, lyric lyricism per se, your lyric writing. Um, and I maybe we can do that now because I, I did uh, ask you about some lyrics, and I think I have a sense of where you're coming from. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, I think we did. What we what I was going to say is, and feel, by the way, feel free to elaborate or elaborate upon your your songwriting as well. Uh, but I, I did want to ask about the music. Uh, really, is what I was uh, fumbling towards there. Uh, this music is really fascinating, and and um, you you have a, an aesthetic. Do you yourself play an instrument? Uh, do you play many instruments? How many? How many instruments do you play? Uh, on the record, I mo- I play guitar, and I play piano, and I play the flute, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and and I sing and I like shake percussive things. Right. But yeah, that's mostly what what I can play. So you're a multi instrumentalist. You, did you say your mother also taught? Uh, you, she taught piano and vocals. Is that right? Yeah, she's she's a. Uh, a piano and vocal teacher. She taught out of our house growing up. I see. So did you pick up on, it, it just follows for me anyway, that you might've picked up some musical stuff from your, I mean, instrumental stuff from your, from your mother as well. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I took piano lessons. Uh, like I took the classical route up until I felt like, you know, I knew enough and I, I didn't, I wasn't very interested in, in continuing in that world. And my father is a guitarist. My dad actually makes guitars. He's a luthier. Oh wow! Um, though he's he's actually kind of wound that down because he's in his seventies now. But yeah, my dad is a an incredible like finger picking guitarist. And so I've yeah the influences definitely from both of them. I was I had access to the instruments and and the knowledge. But I don't really consider myself very like. I would say that I, first and foremost, I'm a singer and a songwriter, and the instruments are just like a way of putting the chords together. So I mean, most of my songs are like a two-chord progression. It's the arrangement of them and having the band that really makes them vibrant. Can you can you speak to the band and maybe anyone you collaborated with to to make this music come alive? Because it's 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 rather unique music. I can see. Uh, those of us trying to grapple with describing the record to someone, like uh, sort of struggling because it, it does seem to be from another time, but it doesn't also seem to be a, a time that's necessarily from the past, if that makes any sense. Like you mentioned R&B at one point. Um, I think you even mentioned it in an allusion to one of the songs on this record. It might have been might have been Love Song. Um, but can you do your best to kind of characterize the sound of this record and maybe what you and your collaborators were going for and uh, within that, who your collaborators were? Uh, well, when I have to write bios and things, I think I've just classified it as like psych soul, <laughs> which I don't, I don't really know if that's fitting, but it, it makes the most sense for me. Like there's a languid 
kind of landscape of things. But my vocal style is definitely like comes from a soulful place. Yeah. The record was made with Matt Smith, Prince Nifty. Um, he was in in it with me from the very beginning, so it, it's very influenced by his production and his arrangement style. I would it wouldn't have. I mean, it's a very like crafted album. Yeah. I compared to the other things I've released, so yeah, that was our intention, and and so Matt offers like a pretty wide range of skills and. Uh, the band as well, like the people I've been playing with over the last few years are like the incredible Toronto jazz kind of scene. But on the record, it's Evan Cartwright on drums, Bram Gielen on bass, Johnny Spence on keys and synths. And then these days in in Guelph, I'll be playing with Evan, uh, Josh Cole on bass, and Colin Fisher on saxophone, and Jonathan Ajemian on keys. Nice. Okay. So they're they're like very flexible players, but I, I mean, the people I play with are friends, and there's there's got to be some kind of comfort in the exchange to make it resonant for first and foremost for me, and then hopefully for other people. So, yeah. Okay. No, that's that's fair. I just I guess I wondered if if this was ultimately what you thought this was going to be. Like when you started out writing these songs, uh, did you think uh, that was this your initial vision? Like what ended up happening on this record? Because it, I, I just I'm just curious about that. It's it seems like a quite an imagination came up with the the sound of this album. Yeah, I don't think it. I thought it would take the, as long as it did, but the more that we got into it. I recognize that like really working out arrangements and being like artful was what the songs needed. Hmm. And like Matt's just like a, a pretty like deep listener. So I think a lot of that, like a lot of the crafting, these songs wouldn't sound the way they do now without him and his influence. Well, I so mean, that was, yeah. What's his background again? What's where does where what did Matt play in uh, bands we would know? Yeah, Matt Smith. He's just like yeah, he's incredible. He's played uh, well. Prince Nifty is his own project, and he played in Lamouche mm-hmm. with Rob Gordon and Owen Pallet, and he played in this amazing band uh, <laughs> called Awesome back in like the early two thousands. With like Colin Berg and Alex Nuckel, Paul Mortimer, they would like wear really psychedelic, strange outfits and like play in parks and stuff. Nice. Okay. So he's cool. he's a character. Well, he's just like a deep head and yeah. uh, and a deep a deep heart as well. Right. Um, but he's doing a lot of production work. He worked with Lido on her record, and I think the the new record he's working with her. He did some work with Bernice on their record. Right. He, yeah, he's he's a multi-talented guy. Well, it's it's great whatever the union is here. It's it turned out it turned into a great record. Uh you mentioned it's three and a half years in the making. Do you have a sense of what's next for you after the becoming? Um I'm just going to play the songs and like let it I mean this is I'm not really like a career like I'm not I'm not looking to be a touring musician because I got some other stuff on my plate, like my studies. And I'm just trying to find the balance of like having music in my life and sharing that with people in a way that's sustainable because it's expensive to play shows with a band. 
there's a lot to have to think about. So I'm just trying to be organic. <laughs> that's my hippie answer. Yeah, that's that's fair. We were talking about the becoming, the song, the becoming, and you were saying that um, it, there's maybe some scary elements to it. Is there a scary element to seeing the band live at all? Is, does it get frightening? <laughs> Uh, not at all, but I don't know if we're supposed to be scary because it's the Halloween show. Right. Oh, the one in Guelph. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's like a warm scary, <laughs> like not a scary scary. Yeah. It's a thrilling. It's like a, it's a vicarious thrill to see the group, I imagine. It's not, I'm not going to be terrified. I'm just going to be like, whoa, I'm scared, but I like it. No, it's going to be like a like a vibe. A vibe. So okay. Maybe if we can like in, induce something trance like, that would be good. Okay. Well, I that might scare some people. It will. I think being in a trance can be scary, but maybe maybe it'll be meditative as well. Yeah, I mean, we're all in a trance in some way or another. See, now you're scaring me. <laughs> That's a scary thing to say. Where can people learn more about you and your music and, and this record, The Becoming? Well, they could learn more about me through my music, I guess. And it's on the internet. And uh, the record is a, a vinyl record that you can buy through Pleasance Records. And uh, yeah, buy music because streaming is just going to be the death of us all. So it's... that's that's definitely something they'd like to say. So you want me to the internet? You want me to buy every Tori Amos record and bring <laughs> bring it home and check it out, and then if I even if I don't like them, I mean, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm actually with you, but I also like the fact that if I am in the mood while I'm chopping an onion to listen to some kind of onion song, then I can just be like, yeah, I kind of want to just listen to that, and I can tell my phone to play. It's really bad. Oh, yeah, it's a bad. Yeah, no, habit. I I also am like I I listen to things through a streaming device as well, but I think for independent music and like the yeah. smaller scale of of music, it's really important to buy. But you can listen, you can stream Tori. Like, I stream Enya. I'm not going to buy Enya's record. She doesn't need my money. Right. That's That should be on a t-shirt. Enya doesn't need my money. I don't think so. She's a castle. She's mm-hmm. living in a castle. That's right. Jennifer Castle should have a castle, for crying out loud. <laughs> Enya. All right. Well, is there a song from The Becoming that you would pick for us to go out on here? Is that possible? Uh, let's listen to Messages, the Garden Edition. Oh, why did that come? You that was a very quick answer. Lots of my guests have to really ponder it. You knew right away what happened. What? Why? Because uh, there's some wild Steely Dan moment in it, and uh, and <laughs> I just think it's really amazing. I would like, I I really want to big it up. So big okay. up Steely Dan. <laughs> All right. Well, so we've we've hyped uh, Enya, Steely Dan, and Tori Amos so far, but uh, this is a song by Isla Craig. From the Becoming, which is a wonderful album. This is Messages Garden Edition. Isla, thank you so much for this time today and for being on my show, and best of luck with everything going forward. Thanks for your time and questions, Vish.
Even though my son has given me some kind of cold that's making it very difficult for me to talk to you right now, I want to take a second to thank uh, Isla Craig for being on this, the 437th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on uh, Spotify, YouTube, Audio Boom, things like that. And if you can't find an episode that you're looking for, if you want to learn more about me, and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. Find the show on Facebook and like it. Find me on Twitter and, and follow me at vishcreative or vishkana. I listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world. It's here for you.ca or on, actual, uh, on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast going thanks to Pizza Trocadero the bookshelf Planet Bean Coffee and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support of the show thanks to Jim Guthrie for his support of the show you can learn more about Jim jimguthrie.org and that is it I can barely speak it hurts so I'm going to stop now but I will be back and raring to go just as soon as I possibly can I will talk to you very soon goodbye for now catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.